Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Hello, everyone. I don't have to tell you that the Bible is sometimes a little hard to understand. I'm not talking about teaching us who Jesus was or is and how our salvation is tied directly to him. That much we can pretty well figure out. But then we read parts of Daniel and Revelation and go, what? What's the dreams and statues and monsters and beasts all about? Those two books of the Bible are populated by some rather bizarre people, creatures, and things that go bump in the night. Well, relax. Dr. Jennings is with us via Skype to unmask one of those creatures, the beast of Revelation 13.1. First of all, Dr. Jennings, why beast? Why didn't God use the names of real people and real nations to explain things? Why beasts? That's a great question, Charles. When we look at this prophetic stuff in Revelation, mm-hmm. we're looking at Bible symbolism, mm-hmm. and yes. therefore symbols have to be interpreted to understand the reality to which they point. If we don't interpret them towards their reality, then we either get confused or we, we create fantasies. Mm. But Bible symbolism, rightly understood, is always connected to reality in some way. Mm-hmm. And you asked about beasts. Well, that's a great question. If we think about symbolisms of beasts, the Bald eagle is a animal or beast that represents the United States. The bear is a beast that represents Russia. And the lion not only represents England, but Richard the Lionheart, it represented him individually as well, one of the kings of England. Animals or beasts have historically been used as symbols to represent individuals or nations or beasts. We even have sports teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars and so forth that that use animals to represent them. And in the Bible, it's the same. The lamb, we all know the lamb is an animal, but it represents Jesus, the lamb of God. The dragon represents Satan. And the Bible tells us that beasts in various places can represent nations, or various political or organizational powers. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that we discover, and let's read Revelation 13.1 so that we understand what we're talking about. And the text says, I saw a beast come up out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. So that's what we want to uncode. The first thing you've helped us do is recognize, okay, let's look at the possibility that this beast represents some power or or nation or system of some kind, because that's historically what beasts represent. The question is, what powers, what nations? Mm. And in order to figure that out, we have to then go into the other elements of the symbolism. And the other elements would be, what are the ten horns? What are the seven heads? And what does the blasphemous name mean on the seven heads? It also says it comes up out of the sea. That's a pretty straightforward one because the Bible tells us in Revelation 17, 15 that the sea represents the nations and power and peoples. And and you might say a sea of a sea of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's simply saying this this particular nation or power arises with the support of the people, whether that's military support, police, taxes. In other words, it comes to power because people give it power. That's what it's basically saying. And so we'll look for nations that arise and have power and that have certain attributes, 10 horns, seven heads, and a blasphemous names on the seven heads. So let's look at the horns. Yep. Horns are used 
by animals to either attack or defend. And in scripture, horns symbolically represent powers of various kinds. They can represent godly powers or evil powers. You have to look at the context to determine which. For instance, in Psalms 132.17 and Luke chapter 1, verse 69, the horn of salvation raised up from David's line represents Jesus. So Jesus is here represented as the horn or the power of salvation. Mm-hmm. Horns can also represent nations or people or other powers. For instance, Samuel had the horn of oil to anoint the kings, and that represented the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Horns can also represent individuals. One of the large horns in the beast in Daniel 7 represents Alexander the Great, and so it can also represent individuals. Mm -hmm. And, And so we understand from this, simply horns can represent powers, and also in Daniel, the horns can represent different nations. So they can represent individuals, they can represent nations, they can represent types of power. The idea is simply horns represent power. We have to look at, well, what type of power? The first piece of Revelation is depicted as having 10 horns. But interestingly, in Revelation 5, the Lamb of God is represented symbolically with seven horns and seven eyes. So horns represent power. The Lamb wields seven horns or seven powers. The beast wields 10 horns or 10 powers. Well, let's look first to give you a sense of the lamb wielding the seven powers of God. What's the seven and 10 mean? 10, the number 10 is symbolic of something that is complete on earthly things. So the church is represented by 10 virgins. Hmm. Five were foolish and five were wise, Hmm. showing that within the church, some are saved and some are members of the church that are not saved, they're not prepared. Hmm. But the 10, the number of 10 represents the worldwide church. The 10 toes in Daniel's statue represent the the worldwide nations at the time of Christ's return when the the nations are destroyed. So 10 represents worldly or earthly things in a complete sense. The number seven represents totality or completion of spiritual things. Seven days of creation, seven days Sabbath, seven lampstands in the temple. And this can be spiritual, holy, or unholy. For instance, the seven abominations in Proverbs 26, 25, or the seven unclean spirits in Matthew 12, 45. Seven simply means the completion or totality of something spiritual, 10, completion or totality of something earthly. So Jesus, Lamb of God, wields the seven horns, seven powers that are the spiritual powers or the domain of God, and these powers set Jesus and God apart from created beings. Oh, and by the way, I'll just insert this for our listening audience. All this is written down in a magazine that we provide for free, on our website, commonreason.com, Unmasking the Beast of Revelation. And you can go to our website and, and read it online, or, or you can request one to a U.S. postal address, and we'll send it to you at no cost. But uh, if you'd like to have a reference where you can actually go back and have all the Bible references to support all these things I'm saying. But here are the seven powers used by Jesus. The power of creation. He's a creator. All the rest of us are created beings. Right. The power of truth. He is the source of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The power of love. God is love, the Bible says. The power of life over death. Resurrection power that holds the keys to the grave and death. The power to forgive and save or heal from sin. Jesus repeatedly said that he has a power on earth to forgive sins. 
the power that sustains and holds all reality together, all things not only created by him, but he sustains and holds all reality together. And this is the power of the laws that govern all of his creation, like the laws of physics and gravity, and he sustains and holds all those in their constancy. And the seventh power that Jesus wields is the power over time, including foreknowledge and the ability to see through time. And these are the seven powers, the horns represented on the lamb that Jesus wields. The beastly power has 10 horns, and it wields 10 powers. These are the powers that the Bible tells us that evil or Satan wields. The first one is the power of lies. Mm -hmm. Satan is the father of lies, and all the kingdoms of the earth lie and deceive. Mm -hmm. The second is imposed or made up rules. God's laws are the laws that sustain and holds all things together, like the laws of physics and the laws of health. Humans can't make reality, so we make up rules, impose laws of various kinds. And that's the second power. The third power are police or prosecution powers, the ability to make accusation and bring charges. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, and he brings charges. The fourth power is judicial power, the power that determines guilt or innocence, the power to pardon or convict. This is artificial and externally inflicted. Many people might get confused. Wait a minute. God judges. God's judgments do not determine guilt or innocence. Mm. God's judgments accurately sustain or state or reveal, or if you want to use this word, diagnose the condition of the heart, those who've accepted Christ and those who haven't, those who've been reborn or those who haven't. His judgment does not determine that condition. It only sustains or validates what actually is. If that makes sense to you. There's it a big does, difference. Yes. Human governments, however, pass external judgments yes. determining guilt or innocence. And in the human systems, many innocent get convicted as guilty, and many of the guilty go off scot-free. That's right. That's right. The fifth power that the beastly system wields is economic power, the power to print money and regulate currency, manipulate its values, control commerce, tax and spend, all designed to manipulate the the people. And it's all artificial. It's all made up. Mm -hmm. The sixth power is the power of war, to use military force to compel, control and or destroy those who would oppose by physical might. The seventh power is the power of death. And it says in Scripture that Jesus came and took upon himself human flesh. They might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2.14. So Satan is described as the murderer from the beginning. He holds that power. But Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life, it says in 2 Timothy 1.9.10. So while Satan holds the power of death, through Jesus Christ, that power is destroyed. Eight Education power, the power to set agendas, um, national education narratives, propaganda narratives, to basically get people to believe certain lines of thought that are worldly in nature. Nine, ownership, the power to determine who owns lands, peoples, goods, resources, licenses to build hospitals, to have patents and get paid and so forth. This is all artificial. And in the biblical worldview, the Bible tells us that we actually don't own everything. To the Lord your God belong the heavens and the, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything that is in it. That's what the scripture teaches. And we are his stewards that he asks us to manage or tend these things, but we actually are not the owners. God is the owner. And 10, the last power wielded is the power of fear. Mm. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and hid because they were afraid. 
And fear is inflamed by all the other nine powers, fear of arrest, fear of war, fear of death, fear of poverty, fear of accusation, and so forth. And so fear kind of weaves all of these together. And these are the 10 horns wielded by the beastly power of Revelation 1. And you could see, well, okay, that still doesn't help me know who it is, because essentially every government of the world uses all 10 of those. That's correct. They all do. Okay, and we're learning something because you said my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. If it were, my followers would fight, but we are not to fight like the world does. And so that's exactly right. But we're learning. So all the nations of the world could be part of this. So, Charles, what we've just described is we've described the the 10 horns, which are the powers used by these systems. And as we pick up uh, the next uh, podcast, Mm -hmm. we will pick up and describe what the seven heads are. And then we can put all that together and uncover what this beast of Revelation 13.1 actually is and how we can avoid becoming part of that system. Oh, very good. Listener, I implore you to listen to our next podcast, Unmasking the Beast Part 2. That'll be coming up shortly. And in that, you will discover some surprising information that Dr. Jennings brings to us about exactly who the Beast of Revelation 13.1 happens to be. That's on our next show. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. And listener, we have Dr. Jennings with us via Skype, and we're going to continue this discussion about the Beast of Revelation 13.1. Until then, stop by CommonReason.com. Dr. Jennings and his team have made many resources available to us there to further our understanding of what we read in the Bible and what God tells us in our hearts. It's all there at ComeAndReason.com. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.